Hey, today on the show, we've got Mike Reno from the band Loverboy. So many hits with this band, Working for the Weekend, Turn Me Loose, The Kid Is Hot Tonight, so many more. And he's here to talk about his new single, Release, that the band put out, really catchy song. They've got a tour with Sticks and REO Speedwagon, and of course, lots of great stories from the past. So it's all coming up right now. Please welcome Mike Reno to the show. How are you doing, Mike? I'm great, thanks, Chuck. Okay. Um, yeah, I was going to ask, oh, how's your ankle? Did you break your ankle? Was that recent? I heard you talking about it. I don't know how recent that was, though. You know what? I've broken it three times, and it's usually always related to falling, uh, you know, stairs breaking or the stage broke or something. Anyway, so it's always rock and roll related. And it's, uh, you know, it's it's I can walk on it. It's not like crazy. It's not broken now. But when you get a little older, these old injuries come back to haunt you. <laughs> oh, that's tough. So then you have to like you tape it up or something. I heard you say. Is that the, how you deal with it? Do you know football players, they tape up pretty well before a game. We're going to be kind of like that. <laughs> okay, nice. So as long as you're – yeah, I remember one time I saw this band and their bass player had just had her appendix out, and so she sat down, but she still played. So as long as you can still sing. And- no, no. You know what it is? It's just, you know, I think a lot of us are, the band are in our 60s, and we tend to uh, – all the things that happened in the early days come back to haunt you. So – um, we're all going to be there. We're going to be rocking. We're going to be having a good time. Uh, it's a crazy uh, bunch of shows we got this year. I can't even believe I accepted all that, but we're doing it. Yeah. So what is it, 85 shows with sticks and REO Speedwagon? I mean, that's quite a package. You know, there's a lot of shows here. I don't know if it's 85, but there's a lot of shows here going to the pretty much the end of uh, September. Uh, okay, but well, that's what you usually do is about 85 shows a year in America plus worldwide tour. I mean, that's a lot of shows. Yeah, we do a lot of shows generally. However, Chuck, we haven't played for two years, you know, together. Um, you know, we oh, wow. all practice on our own and stuff like that. But we haven't been together for two years up until and, and March 9th is going to be the first show in the, la- in the last two years. And do you, how many rehearsals do you have to do before that first show? Or is it like you've already done it, it's like riding a bike? Um, it's kind of like riding a bike, but we're definitely going to get together for at least one full day before uh, before the show on the ninth in, in uh, close to Pittsburgh. Okay, and so the set list. I mean, of course, you're going to play the hits, but uh, you're going to throw anything fun in there. Like I know you do some. You did a snippet of the Doors' "Riders on the Storm." Are you still going to do that? Or? Just, yeah, we just do that for fun. It's kind of in the middle of one of our songs. We just break away and and then we come back to our song. Um, I don't know if we're going to do that still. We might, um, but we did record a new song recently. We might throw that one in, and we kind of did it a whole different way. We used to record all in the same room. This time we recorded in different houses. Sent yeah, via and then you have to email it to each other? Yeah, exactly. Is this the release song, right? This song is so good. It's in my head, actually. It's in my head right now. I was just listening to it and saw the video. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, that, that's how we did it. You know, I, I Paul and I put it together at my place we, and I sang it. After that, we sent it to Doug. He played keyboards. We sent it to Matt. He played drums. We sent it to Spider, our bass player. And this is, you know, going from one city to the other. And isn't the Internet a wonderful thing? Yeah, it's amazing. So wait, who did the production on it, though? Because it sounds so like high quality production. Like in the eighties, this would have cost you $5 million to make this song. I would think. 
Yes, <laughs> you're close. You only, I thought you stopped exaggerating six million years ago, Chuck. <laughs> <laughs> That's, That's good. good. No, we, it, you know what? Paul produced it. He spent some time at it. Okay. And he's kind of a stickler for, uh, for good sounds. And so I'm, we're really proud of him. Thank you, Paul, if you're listening. Yeah, that sounds amazing. It, 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 like I said, it's just a really catchy song. So is that just, you guys are just going to be doing singles now. You're not going to make a full album just because of the way the music business is then? Kind of. You know, I've said it a few times in different interviews I've done. It's kind of hard these days when everybody's just so interested in, in you know, instant gratification. They have the attention span of about, you know, five minutes. And then everybody wants something different. You want something new. You want to, in one hour, you want to hear 14 different records. So I think a single now and again is the way to go. But that's just my my personal belief. I would love to do another album. And I'd love to all be in the same room doing it. But mm-hmm. we'll, see, we'll see how that pans out. What about you as a music fan? Do you still try to buy the albums if there is albums coming out? Or do you listen to these streaming services? Or how do you listen to music? Alexa. <laughs> Play Steely Dan. <laughs> That's how I listen to music. Is that how you do it? Yeah. It, it does make it easier with that. I mean, I guess there's pluses and minuses, but I do feel bad for artists. I mean, at least you have you still have the royalties and all the movie and TV stuff that you get commercials and things you get pay, paid for. You know, it's okay. We're doing okay that way. It's just that the last two years kind of took a little wind out of our sails. I mean, I can't wait to get back, personally. I think it's going to be fun. It's going to take a little getting used to again. You know, a two-year break is a nice way to recharge. And I think we're hitting into the third year. I think we've all just about had enough of this, Chuck. Yeah, no, I'm ready to – I've already seen some shows that some bands have already started back up, and it's amazing to see live music again. And people – we just saw a concert outside, so I felt like I was like, I I think we're going to be okay. We're outside. It seems safe, and everyone was having a good time. Yeah. Another thing, too, I think this – the COVID thing is going to go around and then it's going to go away. It's just like, I think everybody's probably going to get it. And then you're going to deal with it in your own way. Those who are vaccinated probably won't suffer much. And uh, after you got it, it just goes away. That's the way I look at it. Yeah, I hope so. Or I mean, it may just, it's going to weaken enough to where it'll just hopefully be like the flu that most people will have it and get over it. And then we'll move on with life. So it's I'm hoping, been, you know, in, in my lifetime, I have never experienced anything like this. It, it, yeah, it's strange for me, too. I mean, gosh, I mean, times have changed even in my lifetime, but your life lifetime, too. I mean, I, I was listening to an interview. It was so fascinating that you had started out your story. So inspiring that you had a paper out at 11 and you saved up your money to buy this drum set. To, to That's how you wanted to start in music is play the drums. I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that's it. I had a big brother that was really great at kind of making me uh, join in. You know, sometimes you want to get rid of your little brother. In this case, yeah. he always he always uh, got me involved. He was older than me, so he played uh, guitar. I and I, I started playing drums and singing background harmonies. It was kind of a, a nice way to grow up. Yeah. So when you decided to that you were going to be a musician full time, was there somebody that had kind of given you? I mean, there must have been some internal awareness that you were good but was there somebody that really big that had said hey you got it you're gonna make it in this business kid or something like that or what what was it just the internal thing that drove you it was really all it was internal it was there was never anything else i wanted to do and i never even thought about doing anything else 
Uh, occasionally, at the beginning, I would do something to make some money because sometimes when you first start out in music, you don't make much money and mm-hmm. you're going to pay the rent like everybody else. So I used to like work on construction crews or do whatever was necessary, you know, just to make a bit of money. But it was never anything I wanted to do forever. Music was the only thing I ever wanted to do. Yeah, no, I, I thought that was so cool. Uh, you were in this band Moxie. That was one of your first bands. And you left because, quote, t- correct me if I'm wrong, that you, they didn't want to work as hard as you. And that must have been accurate because I've heard of Mike Reno. I had never heard of the band Moxie before this. So you must have had been onto something there. It's just, you know, they were a great bunch of guys. And I did three years with them in one album. It was the time when I learned how to write songs. It came right mm-hmm. out of... Uh, kind of the need to write songs because everybody said let's go in the studio and i went well we better write some songs you know and so we had some opportunities and then it just kind of the fire kind of got dim and i wanted to uh i wanted still to raise a little hell and uh, i didn't want to you know rest on on the laurels of the band they had a few records up before me their singer yeah. got killed in a motorcycle accident and i was kind of put in the position but i wasn't the same kind of singer as their singer. So it was it was a little uncomfortable for me being in that band. But, you know, I did it. I did it for as long as I could. And then I wanted to search for more. Yeah. And so you found it with Coverboy originally, or uh, sorry, it was Coverboy originally, and then it's Loverboy. But tell me about the your manager, uh, Bruce Allen, because I heard you say that, that he got you guys the same deal that Michael Jackson had, which was like, unheard of so you you got to retain a majority of your publishing rights because that's well, a big deal in the music business right it was very big deal and bruce really dug deep for us he was a really hard worker he started off as managing the bto buckman turner overdrive and so he'd been in in the game for about 10 years and when they decided to uh, kind of hang it up and not tour as much and stop doing records we were the next choice for Bruce and Bruce took really good care of us. He really did. And he got us a fabulous deal, which today I can say, thank, thanks very much, Bruce Al, for, for sure. Right. So that, cause that deal stays the same from that time. Does it ever expire? And then you have to re re up the deal or how's that work? Well, you can after 25 or 30 years. And I think we're kind of thinking about doing it right now, just because, you know, all the debts to our CBS records or Columbia records is basic. They've been paid 10 times over. So it's not like they should get anything anymore, really, other than the fact that we were all started together. So we're all still in it together. You know, you can look at it that way, too. That's pretty cool. So and I see a lot of musicians are selling their music as they get older. It's kind of like you could sell it, the rights to it. For I think that's what Neil Young did. They said he sold his music for 50 million. That's a lot of millions. I mean, how much do you really need, huh? In this, yeah. And I'm not, I'm not dying to receive a whole bunch of money because all that is is creates tax problems, in my opinion. And so oh, I'm just right. happy. Yeah. I, I don't mind the trickle system. Yeah, the mailbox money, as you call, it, I believe, right? That is what I call it, man. Chuck, yeah. you really kind of know me, don't you, man? Yeah, yeah. No, I love. Listen, I heard so many of these stories. Like all these questions I had, you answered most of them in interviews I've listened to. Tell tell my audience the the story of you guys opening for Kiss within 1979. That was that's kind of interesting story. Well, this came kind of right out of the blue. We were just rehearsing songs and recording little demos on eight track demo type machines, and uh, Bruce Allen once again gives me a call and says, "You know, get the guys together. You're playing tonight." I said, we're playing where, Bruce? I said, we don't even have a bass player. 
He says, well, find a bass player. You're playing in the Coliseum, warming up for Kiss. And I went, hold it. What are you talking about? He says, just get it together. I'll see you there. Bye, click. And I kind of went, what is going on? As I find out later, the group, uh, the New York Dolls, were refused entry mm -hmm. at the border in Vancouver, you know, from United States to Canada. It's like 20 miles away, right? Boom, there's the border. I guess they were coming up from Seattle. And uh, Canada said, no, thank you to the New York Dolls for whatever reason. It had to probably do with something, you know. Oh, I thought it was because they didn't have visas or something. It could have been that too. Okay. But we don't actually, Canada's never required musicians to have visas to work in Canada. However, I have to have a visa to work in the United States, which I'd like hmm. to talk to uh, your president about in the next little while. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> what would you, how do you change that rule then? I don't know. Just to tell them, it's just an expense. You yeah. know, we, we're down here. We're down here playing constantly. We play most of our shows in the United States, and we pay taxes. So we're paying taxes. We're contributing to society. Why do we have to pay to lawyers to get us these visas? It really doesn't seem fair. If we're going to get paid lawyers to get the visas, how about we don't pay the taxes? You know what I'm saying? Wait, you have to you have to pay lawyers to get a visa? What? I don't understand. Well, in order to get it all arranged through the government, you got to send an entertainment lawyer takes a few weeks and then they have to do documents on not only the band, but also the road crew. So there's oh. 10 or 11, maybe even 13, 14 people on the visa. Cause we have extra put extra people on it. So uh, it's like, you know, $2,500 per man or per person. Oh, so it's a little more complicated than just showing a regular visa as you cross. You have to have a special working visa. That's right. It's called an O one or an O two. And it's kind of, you know, it's nothing we really deal with technically. You just have a piece of paper and you show it to them and they go, okay, yeah. go ahead. But uh, the paying of taxes we've been doing for 41 years. And, uh, you know, I kind of wish I had a little little say in a few matters that happened out here after paying all those taxes. But That's, I don't is that why so many American uh, movie companies go to Vancouver? Is because it's a, this is a sort of tax break where they can go and, re and make movies there cheaper than, I mean, it must be cheaper than California, I'm sure, but. Well, here's, here's the thing with the, with the movie maker, Chuck, a, a city, let's say like Calgary or Vancouver or Montreal or, or even Toronto, uh, Winnipeg, they will offer a tax break. If you come and do your whole production in their, in their community. Mm, yeah. And also, when you have to pay for the production, you pay in Canadian dollars using American dollars. So you get about 30% extra because the oh. dollars, your American dollar is worth about 30 cents more right okay. now than the Canadian dollar. So between the tax breaks and the price difference in the dollar, you know, they're saving a lot of money by doing these productions in Canada. And I was watching the show last night. I think they recorded it in Vancouver. And I could see all the stuff in Vancouver, but they're supposed to be somewhere like in New Mexico or something or somewhere, you know. Yeah. Or, or Virginia or something. And it's obviously Vancouver. But well, know. yeah, they do that all the time. See, I'm from Seattle. I used to go drive up to Vancouver to drink because you only had to be 19. But I'd see these movies and they, like, they'd say like, oh, it's in Seattle. I'm like, that's Vancouver. And I get so yeah. mad. I'm like, why can't they film in real Seattle? Well, thank you, Chuck, for noticing. I notice it all the time, too. So is my yeah. 
Yeah. Well, what is the, the Bates motel? I think that was one that was filmed up there that, that looked really cool. I wanted to go to that. I think they tore down the stage though, but it looked really, or the studio or whatever, where it was filmed looked cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, for sure. There's a lot of those. And then, then you record a lot in Vancouver. And so you had all these, uh, you know, other musicians that you worked with, uh, like the song jump that you wrote, you co-wrote that with Brian Adams and Jim Valance. Tell me right. about working with those two uh, heavyweights. Cause those guys are both amazing songwriters. They are amazing. And they've had, they've done some amazing songwriting over the years. I think in the case of jump, it was a song. Uh, basically they put together and they'd offered it to us and then we changed it around and that's how the co-write happened. There was a whole uh, section missing that we needed just to give it the lover boy thing. And mm -hmm. so we ended up writing a whole new bridge. And so it became a co-write between those two guys and Paul and I. And that happens a lot with songwriting. You know, somebody will give you a song, but you change it just because it has to fit your brand. And Jim Valance is a fantastic writer, a great guy. I had a wonderful studio up there. And Brian Adams, of course, we all know how well he's done. He's, he's written songs for everybody. And we're mm -hmm. quite proud to, proud to call those guys Vancouverites. Yeah. So is that the same way with John Bon Jovi and Richie Sambora? I know you guys did a couple songs with them. They gave you a song and then you reworked it? Um, actually, Paul and Richie and, and uh, John worked that song out together. And then when they came back to Vancouver, I was unavailable. Uh, we started recording it and I said, well, we got to go here instead of there. And we made some changes. So, very similar kind of idea. Just give it the old lover boy touch. And that, okay. that, became, that became a co-write as well. Yeah, that was notorious. And I think you also, there was one that went on Paul's solo record, I think, that you got a credit for too. Yeah, a bunch. Paul, Paul yeah. did a few solo projects in his spare time. He's always writing and recording and having, doing all the extra stuff. He just loves that studio work. Yeah, that's so cool. And then the song Almost Paradise that you uh, did the duet for Footloose with um, Ann Wilson, you said that you pick, handpicked Ann Wilson. You could pick anybody. Now, who, if she would have turned you down, who would have been your second choice? What Stevie Nicks, uh, Lita Ford, Pat Benatar? Did you have a second person in mind? Nope, never. Never had a second <laughs> person in mind. I went in full confidence that she would do it. You know, it, it's kind of one of those songs. When you when I first heard it, I went, that's a smash. I just went, that's a smash hit. And it was written by... Uh, um, Eric Carmen. Now, why didn't he want I, it for himself? I don't know. It, it was a song and it was chosen. The movie company loved it. Eric Carmen's written a lot of songs and he's yeah. one of those guys who writes a lot of songs as well. But when, when it was given to me in a, in a bed track and they said, you could pick wherever you want. I just went, well, I don't know if you know this, but uh, Hart lived in Vancouver for about 11 years. Yeah, no, I think I, I did hear some of there and they were originally from Seattle as well. So, but right. yeah, that makes sense that they would be in Vancouver. That's very close. Very, I very think, cool. I think they ended up in Canada too. I think their boyfriends were, were trying to avoid the uh, the uh, uh, draft, as it were. Oh. You know, they were like saying, well, you're at the age now where you can join the Army. He goes, join the Army? I'm in a freaking rock band. I'm not joining the Army. And I don't blame them for coming. And we loved having them there. Was there a, wait, was there a war at the time, though? I, I guess I there's always was, some sort of war going on, it seems like. They were getting ready for some shenanigans. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's like a very common thing there. that would happen is uh, – Go to Canada and hide out. Now that could be that could just be. Uh, I don't know. I don't even know if that's true. I shouldn't really pass rumors around like that. <laughs> been, you know sure what? You should. We, this is how we get headlines. We we talk about rumors. We talk about gossip. That's how we get the headlines.
True. It's it was a great, it was a great town to live in. So I and there was a lot of music venues back then. There's not so much now, but there was a lot of music. There was bands playing everywhere, so it was oh, yeah. very competitive, and there was a lot of work, and it was kind of fun. You know, Vancouver is a fun town. Yeah, and it, tell me about this. Then you were recording next to Aerosmith and Motley Crue. There's got to be some sort of you got to give me a Motley Crue story. There's got to be some craziness that happened if they're recording next to you, right? I think I was away during the Motley Crue stuff, but they were always in the studio. When what happened was we kind of recorded there, and when we became very successful, people went, "Where the hell did these guys cut that album?" You know, oh. and so they researched it, and then next thing you know. The studio was too booked for us to even go back and do our second album. So we had to do our second album in the same studio. They cut Dreambone Annie by heart just down the road, a place called Mushroom okay. Studios. And then uh, every once in a while, we'd pop by a Little Mountain Sound and there'd be like uh, Aerosmith or uh, Motley Crue or Bon Jovi were always up there recording. So they basically got our engineer and our producer. And if you read the uh, the back of these album covers, you'll see that uh, Bob Rock engineered and produced a lot of the same stuff that and he started with us. And that was his first project. So Yeah, so what did you see his talent at that point? I mean, he must have been really good, but he's still being an engineer at, for several years, like three of your three or four of your albums, I think. Well, yeah, he was he was twisting the knobs, and that's kind of and I think he learned a lot of his production chops by being in the studio because the, stu the studio is a whole different animal. There's nobody really watching you. You know, there's a lot of thought, there's a lot of time, and you have to be able to kind of pace yourself to do like a twelve hour a stint. You know, rather than a the two hour show, which is all excitement and pizzazz. Uh, the studio, there's a lot of just hard work that you just have to do repetitive hard work. And I guess Bob learned that off uh, Bruce Fairburn, how to handle it, what to do. And Bob went on to become a super huge, very famous producer. And so did uh, our second engineer, Mike Fraser, for that matter. Yeah. And then I think also did, did uh, Mark, what's his name? Mark Dotson. I think he engineered one of your albums too. And he, he went on to produce Judas Priest and Anthrax. and Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, he was uh, our, he was an engineer for our uh, Loving Every Minute of him album, and it was uh, produced by Tom Allum, who also worked on those same bands you mentioned. Yeah, that's that's really cool. I love the story too. How Mutt Lang gave you guys that song, so he played it for you over the phone. Did 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 he play all the instruments on it, or who was like singing and doing the guitars and stuff? Well, it was a recorded recorded project, and to be honest with you, I don't know who recorded it. It was uh, okay in, done in England. And so in order for us to get it, he would have had to uh, mail it. Now, I know this is kind of hard to believe for some of your viewers, but email wasn't even there yet. Right. Never mind sending a whole song. Yeah. You know what I mean? And then so all we had, the only way, and we needed it really quick because we were finished in the studio by the end of the week, and I think it was Thursday. So then he said, why don't you just play it for us over the phone? So we recorded it off, you know, off the phone. Just and then we just picked it apart, went in the studio and banged it off. It was really quite a lot of fun. So we put a little bit of our own pizzazz into it. And I'm I don't know, it's done very well for us. 
So I yeah. love that song. It is, but I never knew that the Mutt Lang thing until I heard you talking about it. And, I, and then I, when I listened to it now, I go, okay, I could totally, because obviously he worked with Def Leppard. I, I could have heard, hear Def Leppard doing that song as well. Like that, oh, it, so it that easily ended up on one of their albums. Yeah. That would have been a great song for them. I think you had a, uh, Jamie St. James and Tommy Thayer from the band uh, Black and Blue sing backup vocals on that. I don't know if it was on that song, but on the album somewhere. And of course, Tommy goes on to be the guitar player for Kiss. So now we're like for, full circle. Was Tommy Thayer in Black and Blue? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. That's why I saw him before. Because I've become, friend, I've become <laughs> friends with Tommy over the years. Different things that we've done. And he's asked me to do uh, some tournaments that he does for golfing just to raise money for his charity. But um, I haven't seen him in a while, but he was a great guy. Uh, well, it was one of those things where there's two studios in uh, Little Mountain. So if you pop by to say hi, there's usually a bunch of people around. So it's kind of a nice thing to do, pop by and mm -hmm. say hi. And when you're there, if somebody says, can you come in and sing, whoa, living on a prayer, you don't say no. You just go in and do it. And then you got yourself, you do it 10 times, and then you got yourself uh, 100 voices. And you Ten did that. On, you're, you're on Living on a Prayer? You're on the backup vocals? I'm pretty sure I am. Yeah. That's really I, cool. I doubt it. Somebody, I don't know. I did a lot of things like that. I remember, and a lot of people did it for us, too. They'd come in and they'd sing, yeah. loving every minute of it. <laughs> so it was whoever was around. Of those credits, though? Is somebody in charge of keeping track of, or do you get royalties, or is it just like this is a freebie, whatever? Oh, you just freebies. You just, you yeah. don't ask for anything. You don't even ask for money. You just... You just you're doing favors for everybody. It's kind of like uh, you know a barn raisin, a good old fashioned barn raisin. Okay, yeah, that's the, God. You and you guys have toured with so many great bands. Uh, which ones stick out to you? Because I, I have this giant list. I mean, I could ask you about all these, but we only we're obviously strapped for time. I'll tell you one thing: when we first went out, we played with one of the best bands in the world, Kansas. Yeah, I loved the voice of Steve. Walsh and the, the the drums, every it was just a great band all the way around. And like every night, I just wanted to listen to the whole set, but we had to leave halfway through the set and drive to the next town because we were on tour. And then we, the, for the next tour, we got lined up with ZZ Top. Now, come on. I mean, <laughs> I, I go to ZZ Top concert and I'll be at, how about do a, doing 80 concerts with ZZ Top? And you're on stage with them. We became friends with these people. I mean, this is fun. And then they throw us out there with Journey. And Journey was was promoting their Escape album, and we were promoting uh, our Get Lucky album. So it was like two two great albums. Two, one of the, I think it was the tour of the year, really. I, I could say that, hopefully, humbly. Um, and that was, you know, and then, and then we started headlining. So it's been like yeah. a wonderful ride. That's so cool. So, and you won, um, I heard you say you won seven Juno awards, which is like the Canadian Grammy, but that your, your, it wasn't your highlight. Your highlight was playing American bandstand. Is that still your, your biggest highlight for you? Well, I'll tell you what you I don't know. American bandstand isn't even on anymore, but back then, if you hit American bandstand, you were pretty much guaranteed to, to uh, sing a song for about 10 million people every Saturday. Yeah. Maybe that was a big there. deal. Yeah, maybe even more. I may have undercut it by six times. It could have been 60 million people for all I know. But American Bandstand was a big deal. So if you played American Bandstand, then you really had something. And you knew your life was about to change. So that's why it's important to me. 
when the, we got asked to play American Bandstand the first time, it was like, wow, this this is this is really it. And then we got to know Dick Clark, and he asked Paul and I to do American Music Awards a few times and hand out awards. And you know, it was really kind of, yeah, it was great. American Bandstand was a big deal for me. That must be a big part of your success too, is being able to build these relationships with people. I mean, all these bands keep asking you to, to continue to tour with them. I mean, you guys must be easy to get along with. Well, you know, we're pretty easy to get along with. You know what they say? We just keep our heads down and we do our thing. That's what our manager always told us to do. Just play your concerts and move on down the road. Um, we became friends with these guys just because I think it's a, you know, a mutual admiration. We love them. They loved us. It was, it's nice. And that's, that's how you, that's how friendships develop, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it's been an amazing career and it's still going. This is a great package. Uh, this, well, no, it starts in, not, I was going to say summer, but I think it's starting sooner than that. Is it starting in March? May 31st is when uh, the tour with uh, sticks and REO Speedwagon start. Uh, March 9th, we start up and do about uh, 18, 22 concerts on our own. To, okay. Uh, you know, there was a lot of this stuff was postponed, and now we're starting to pick up on all the postponements, and we're going to go back and, and redo those shows. Okay, perfect. And then um, I, I know you got to get out of here, so but I do like to end each episode with a charity. Is there is there one that you've worked with or you want to give a shout-out to here at the end? Yeah, Juvenile Diabetes is uh, one that we always uh, – the JDRF. The okay. Diabetes Research Foundation. Absolutely, is, I've promoted them. That that has been something that we've been uh, involved with for uh, about twenty years. Okay, great. Well, I'll put that in the notes along with the Loverboy website, and uh, people should check you out and also the new song release. It's like I said, it's super catchy. So, thanks so much for doing this, Mike. I appreciate it. I appreciate it, Chuck. Thanks. It's been great talking to you. You too. All right. Bye bye. Okay, well, that was a lot of fun. Some questions that I didn't get to, so hopefully I can have Mike back on the show. Again, so many great stories. Um, some things we didn't get to talk about, like the Get Lucky album cover. So what I read about that one was the person on the cover is actually the daughter of the photographer because she was the only one who could fit into the red leather pants. And a sad story about that is she later died in a car accident in her 20s. So lots of interesting rock history with Loverboy. So we'll have to have Mike on the show again or maybe another member of the band. So make sure to subscribe or follow my show wherever you watch or listen. And of course, follow me on social media and Loverboy on social media and check Loverboy website for the current tour dates. And thank you so much for listening. Have a great rest of your day and remember to shoot for the moon. 